welcome back to Bless You, the podcast where you tell us your juiciest stories and we get to dish on them. I'm Callie, your co-host, and I'm here with Elise, and we missed you guys. I don't even know if I remember how to do this. Hi, everyone. I miss everyone. It's been a long time. We have lots of updates. Yeah, it's been forever, and it's it's been so long that I don't even know, like, where to start, but there's obviously a place to start, but there's no way that either of us are going to be able to cover everything. And so if you are a nosy little lady like myself and want (laughs) details that we accidentally skip this podcast, like, please don't be afraid to comment on our socials or write in and be like, Oh, excuse me. You like forgot this part. And I want to hear about it. (laughs) That would make my day. But also like, I want to make sure that we are as authentic and transparent as y'all want us to be. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I, I had a kid. <laughs> Callie, Callie had a baby. Callie, had, Callie uh, popped whole, a baby out. I had a whole baby. I'm going to make this, this is probably not going to go by too fast. And I don't even know what you can decide what the sparkle is in the midst of this ridiculous, insane, amazing story. Um, but let's see here. So she was six days late, which I didn't know this, at least it's common for first time moms to go to 41 weeks in three days. That's like the average of the due date. Meaning like that's, that's 10 days late. That's insane. So there's a new, like, I guess, I don't know if you want to call it like movement or whatever, but they're basically finding that if you induce at 39 weeks, there's like less complication risks. Um, but there was a pickleball tournament in Newport beach at my 39 week induction date. So I canceled it. (laughs) I also was like, um, I'm not ready. Thank you. And I really like, after hearing about being induced, I was like, I don't want that. Like the whole thing is manufactured and not that there's anything wrong with that, but I really wanted to experience like going to labor myself. And also if you are induced, you have to spend the entire labor process in the hospital. And I was like, I think it would be more ideal if I could like labor at home for a little bit. Yeah. Um, cause again, if you're a first time mom, it like takes a while. It's not like in the movies where your water breaks and a baby shoots out of you. It like, it's a process. So I was like, I'm just going to wait. Well, my OB wouldn't let me go past 41 weeks. So I had to get induced anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> jokes on me. And it was okay. I'm, I'm going to like try and explain this without scaring anyone who hasn't given birth yet, because I really don't want to be a fear monger, but I was, I'll say this. I was absolutely not prepared for how awful it was going to be. And I think I went into this whole experience thinking labor is going to be fine. Women have done it for thousands, millions of years and I'm going to be, and I have a high pain tolerance and I tend to be someone that's just like, go with the punches. So I was like, I'm going to be fine. Motherhood was what I was really freaked out about. And that's what I thought was going to be the hardest part. And my life was going to be over. And I have found that it has been the opposite. Labor was the worst experience of my life and parenthood, like mothering has been 10 times easier than I thought it was going to be, which is really, I mean, honestly, that's great because this process is a lot longer yeah. <laughs> in labor, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, 
being induced was horrible. The whole experience was horrible. I apparently, I didn't know this, but when I'm under extreme pain, I throw up. That's my pain response. So I went through a million masks until Andrew was finally like, can you stop making her wear a mask? Like we don't have COVID. Like for the love of God, she keeps barfing in her mask. It's disgusting. (laughs) Stop doing this to her. Um, I was in labor for 30 hours. I spiked a 102 fever. Baby's heart rate kept dropping. Um, I did get an epidural because you don't get a trophy for, for going through it without anything. And like, it worked, but I don't, other women talk about sleeping after they get their epidural. I still felt lots of things. So I was still in pain. Um, I pushed for four hours, which also ill-advised. Don't do that. It was horrible. And, um, I think because my water had been broken for so long, that's why I spiked the infection. And then I spiked the, or I spiked the fever at like 2 a.m., 1 a.m. And then I started pushing at 6 a.m. And then I think around 10, 15 a.m. was when my OB called it because my last push meconium came out. And if you don't know what meconium is, it's infant poop, which sounds gross and adorable, but it's actually incredibly scary because infant poop is like newborn poop is tar. It's not like, little poopies it's like disgusting black tar and it's really dangerous because an infant can inhale it so my OB called it and was like it's time to get um, a c-section and for those of you who like know me or talk to me about my birth plan I didn't have a birth plan other than I don't want a c-section and I plan on breastfeeding so I was I, I wasn't upset at that point because 30 hours in, you're like, get this, get this baby out of me. And by the way, I pushed for four hours with no progress. Like she did not want, she would come down and then she'd go back up. She was like, nope, n- nope. N- stage fright, like insane. I was like, <laughs> come on girl. It's not that hard. Just like, come out. She was like, no. And I, I remember having a conversation with Andrew on the way to the hospital. And I was like, Hey, like women who hire doulas have like a 20% less chance having a C-section or like some stat like that. I was like, so you're my doula. So like, please advocate for me. I really don't want a C-section and no shame to anyone who gets a C-section. I just knew the recovery was going to be harder. And frankly, mama wanted to play pickleball. Like I didn't want to have like an, I didn't know how I was going to bounce back or recover. Like I've heard it's really tough. It's they, they cut through seven layers to get to the baby. Like it is no joke. It is it is one of the most intense surgeries you can actually have in terms of how deep they cut into you. So I remember like locking eyes with him at like, you know, hour 29 and a half. And I was like, he was like, please don't make me keep doing this. And I was like, yeah, you're off the hook, man. This blows. So I ended up having a C-section and baby ended up swallowing meconium, which was just horrible. So she spent her first week of life in the NICU. And it was interesting. Like I, the recovery the first few days was obviously really bad. I had completely disassociated during birth. I remember the anesthesiologist looking at me and I remember saying like, is it bad if I'm so checked out? I keep forgetting why I'm here. Like I, I want to take a nap. I'm exhausted. I like, I don't care. And he was like, sweetheart, (laughs) you basically just ran two marathons. And I don't think you understand how many drugs are in your system right now. Andrew said he had like a spreadsheet in front of him. And it was like two pages long of like all the drugs that were pumped into me because of the fever and because of everything else. And, um, 
I remember the nurses being like, pressure, pressure, like looking at me, like brace yourself. <laughs> and the anesthesiologist was like, um, no, no, I gave her a full drug. This lady needs a break. So I, I couldn't feel anything during the C-section. I think he was just like, tap out, ma'am, just tap out. So I like remember her being born kind of, but like, I remember her not crying immediately, probably because of the tar covering her lungs. Um, but yeah, like I didn't need her until full, like full 24 hours later. I remember being jealous of the baby because Andrew was, had to go to NICU and I was just like in this state of shock and like, uh, just the recovery was horrible. I think mentally, emotionally, everything. And then once I got to the point where I can kind of understand what happened and I went to go meet her, which the, this is a very sweet story. The first time I met my daughter, which is crazy to say, I like put my hand in her little Batmobile and, um, and started talking to her and her heart rate fell so much because she was so comforted that all the alarms went off. And I was like, great. I killed her. Like, this is awesome. I like enter her life and she's going to die. And the nurses were like, no, 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 no. She like, this is the first, like other than Andrew, of course, but like, this is the first time she's hearing your voice outside of the womb. And she's like very, yeah, she feels safe. And I was like, oh my God, that's <sighs> heartbreaking. I know. And like, now that I know her, she like loves being cuddled and she like loves people. And she's like always awake and loves interacting. And I'm like, God, you spent your first week of life just in hell, especially for you. Like, that's so sad. Um, luckily at the time that didn't register. <laughs> Thank God. I wouldn't have been able to handle it. Um, yeah, but it was like a really rocky way to start. I mean, I couldn't like move into the NICU. So I constantly felt judged, even though the NICU nurses were amazing. It wasn't on them, but it was like, am I here too much? Am I getting in their space and like ruining their flow? Am I not here enough? Am I a bad mom? Like they were like, okay, you can change your diaper. And it's like, yeah, changing a diaper on a newborn's not hard, except for when she's like hooked up to a million like wires, you know, it's like, and if I do one sudden movement, her IV could pop out. It was just so stressful. And you have all these people watching you to make sure you don't fuck up because like, you know, this is life or death. It's the NICU, like neonatal intensive care unit. She wasn't in peds. Like this is dangerous shit. And I didn't know what I was doing. So it was just like, the stakes could not have been higher. And then after all that, my milk didn't come in. So I was like, okay, cool. The two things that I really wanted, I didn't want C-section and I wanted to breastfeed. I mean, out the fucking window so fast. Um, and the pressure to breastfeed is, I mean, I, I don't even think I understood how pressured I felt, but like, obviously I felt pressured because it was on my want list and like, I wasn't educated on it. I didn't really know why. I mean, it was free. So that's, I'm a cheap bitch. So that's, <laughs> I'm like, why would I pay for something when I can do it for free? Um, but it's like, okay. I hope no one gets offended for me saying this, but it's like a little anti-feminist because if you're breastfeeding, then every feeding is on you. And you are just like all the pressure to like provide for this newborn is on you and what your body can do. And some women get that amazing experience and are like, yeah, fuck yeah, my body did that. And like, I didn't. And that sucked. And I still don't know, looking back the first four weeks, I definitely had postpartum depression. And I don't know if that's because of the psychological pressure I put on myself to breastfeed and then I couldn't do it. So I just felt like I was failing or, or if it was the hormones actually associated with pumping because she had a feeding tube and she learned to eat on a bottle. So like trying to get her to breastfeed after a week of that, it's, it's so stressful for her, for me, I was like, I'm not going to force this. So I just was pumping and there's an actual like hormonal reaction to pumping. And I'm not 
and I don't understand um, the mechanics of it and why this happens, but it is a thing where women pump and they start to feel like really sad, anxious, depressed. And I had that. And I don't know, the second I stopped, I just became a different person and parenting her and like having her be in my life has been like one of the best things ever. She's so happy. She's so sweet. She's like, literally the cutest I know and like it's been I'm not trying to like brag and be like oh, it's so easy. but like it's been easy since then like she just does that she makes it easy on me she has like been a dream but I also have to remember that like I fucking deserve that yeah you went through a lot of shit I was really worried about you I was like do I call Cedars like uh, no one's responding to me yeah, we didn't want to scare anybody, but like clearly there were no updates for so long. And then it was like the C-section was almost emergency. And this is why I love my OB because he was like, look, I think you need a C-section. Meconium did come out in your last push, which was like really funny because they were like definitely changing the pad like a lot. And I was like, great, I'm pooping. This is embarrassing. And, so, <laughs> and then the last like pad change, I like saw the nurse look down and like there was like a definite reaction from her and I was like okay that's not good and then he was like okay it's time for a c-section but he explained it to me which I really appreciated he was like look in an emergency situation you're not my priority and that sucks but like I have to get that baby out so I don't care what your scar looks like I don't care if you heal well like I don't care about any of that I have to go in and get her out mm-hmm. if we do it now I can like really make you a priority and make sure that you like don't have a fugly scar (laughs) you know and it was I like that he explained it to me and not that every woman who gets an emergency c-section like has it horribly I'm sure there are a lot of gifted OBs out there that like do the job well but I I really appreciated that explanation so I could be like okay yeah maybe let's not make this more stressful than it needs to be Mm -hmm. and just like know when to call it um yeah but we didn't want to scare people because it's like a C-section was not what we were going in to do. So then when we tell people that's what we're going to do, yeah. obviously that's going to cause some panic. So we were just going to wait until everything was okay. And then it turns out everything was not okay. So maybe we, maybe we could have given people a heads up. But <laughs> well, I feel like you, I'm sure you both were in survival mode and you just like, probably you're just so head in the game and just like t- taking each step as it comes that it's like, you probably didn't even have the energy to like, you know, fill other people in, which is no, totally. I mean, Andrew asked me, he was like, I'm not telling everybody right now. Right. And I was like, that was his instinct. Like, yeah. Between us. And I was like, yeah, no, you're right. And like, not even my mom. And she was kind of pissed. I mean, she gets it now, of course, but she was like, you know, you're having a baby, but she's my baby. So like, yeah. I need to be in the loop with this. And like, I understand that. And she's right. But at the same time, it was just, honestly, it was traumatic. Like I didn't have, I didn't, want to deal with other people being worried about me when I was already worried about me. Yeah, totally. I'm sorry. But yeah, she came out eight pounds, three ounces. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know how long she is. And that's not my fault. It was a NICU situation. So she was like rushed off. So I like actually don't know how long she was, but she's very tall. She's very long. Um, She came out looking just like my mom, which was hilarious. And so that's another thing like breastfeeding was a little weird like the nurses were trying to get me to do it like like they didn't even offer me formula I just have to say like I didn't think getting formula in the hospital was like an option that's kind of crazy like I should be able to have both options I don't know just thinking back on this I'm like damn the pressure to breastfeed is insane like why are we so fixated on what babies eat they're all going to be eating goldfish off the ground in two years anyway <laughs> for real um it's just weird but yeah trying to get her on my boob and looking up at me and I was like 
Hi, baby Carol. <laughs> That's my mom. Hello, <laughs> oh, mommy. It's just so weird. So weird. Uh, but no, she's she's super long. Oh yeah, and then she like wasn't gaining enough weight, which is like common with babies who go through trauma. I mean, y'all, I like went through it and like, yeah, I've earned my right to be like, um, she's amazing and life is pretty easy now. Like she sleeps, it's great. Anyway. And she's so cute. She's got the chunkiest cheeks and she's just literally, they made a cute ass baby. Not all babies are cute. You know, like I love them all. And, but like some babies come out and you're like, I hope you grow out of that, you know, but like (laughs) your baby is cute as fuck. She's And she's like happy and that's what matters. But also like, yeah, she's really cute. Thank God. Yeah. You hear when you're like, damn, you're cute. You're like giving me hell right now, but like, you be some cuteness. Yeah. She's like, I appreciate that. I feel like, I feel like enough people have told me she's cute that people aren't like, but like, you have to lie. If she's ugly, if she's like an uggo baby, like, too bad. You're telling me she's she's your sparkle for the week. Yeah, she is. So Silver Jane Solomon, which is so funny because she's got such an androgynous name and um, she wears bows constantly. I, I have like, I don't give a shit. Everything is girly. Everything is fun. Everything is like super, not what I thought it was going to be. Like I thought I was going to be into this whole gender neutral motif, which like I get, and it's cute and it's amazing, but like, I cannot get enough pink in my life. And it's funny. I asked Andrew, I was like, do we make a mistake giving her such a gender neutral name? And he was like, no, that's what I love that. Like she has this gender neutral name. And then you like meet her and you're like, wow, she is a girl. (laughs) She is girly. And I was like, ah, yeah, that is fun. Okay. Enough about me. But if anyone has any questions about like my birth story, my experience. Oh, recovery from a C-section, not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. I walked to the NICU from, yeah. like, I walked to Cedars. Callie literally the there. next day, basically 45 minute walk. She was like, I'm walking to Cedars. I was like, oh, great. How far is that? She's like, 45 minutes. I'm like, there and back. Like, she's like, no, just there. I'm like, you're, you're <laughs> I was walking kind of slow. Like, it probably should take me 30, but I mean, we took it easy. But anyway, um, feel free. Like, I'm an open book and very obviously... Um, open about what all went down and I can still tap into those feelings. I don't love to, but I can. And I think it's helpful for other women too, because I was so in the dark about what to expect. And I think I had an amazing experience from my medical team. Like some people have been like, Oh, like, do you think it went south because of your medical? I'm like, no, I think I wouldn't have survived if I didn't have a good medical team. My baby definitely wouldn't have survived if I didn't have a good medical team. So like I am all about singing their praises but it still was not the experience I hoped for and you know what that's okay yeah it's totally okay it's fine um okay Elise we have so much to catch up on with you I don't even know where we left off um I don't think you had so you did your transfer on sorry I'm like sharing your story but on 12 12 12 12 and we last recorded like we have not recorded since baby girl was born so yeah that's where we left off. I don't know if I had already, well, I went through another round. We switched clinics, went through another round of IVF, ended up being amazing. Dr. Koo, shout out. I love you. You're the sweetest and the best. Um, ended up transferring to healthy embryos and I'm pregnant with twins, which is 
wild. Um, I'm <laughs> 17, almost 17 weeks pregnant and sent Callie a picture of my belly the other day and she's like, it's oh so my cute. God, it's, I'm going to be a big mama. I'm going to be a big, big mama. Um, as, as you should be. Yeah. I like want to be huge and I'm like very much enjoying eating literally everything. And so is Carl. We are both gaining the equal amount of weight as we go on. It's a bonding experience. Yeah, no, I'm like, I like look at him at like 9 p.m. I'm like, can we get Sonic Blast and French fries? He's like, I already have them in my cart. I'm like, okay. Yay. Um, so we are having a boy and a girl, which Love it. I was so not expecting. Carl and my mom both knew the genders ahead of time and they were kind of like throwing me off with like little hints here and there. And Callie and I were trying to like play investigator like, and try to. I don't know if they were. I feel like they just like kept kind of slipping up and, but like their slip ups were not even good slip ups. So yeah. like accidentally threw us off. But yeah. Like, yeah. Know. No, I think so too. I think they like accidentally fucked up a couple times. <laughs> up and then like miss like made something plural and we were like oh it's two of the same and then like it's like oh no that was just a typo <laughs> yeah no totally um so yeah we got a little boy and a little girl and basically Callie is my advocate for life she found my IVF doctor she found my OBGYN she oh, I forgot about that I was like where are you giving birth she told me and I was like no, no. <laughs> Well, only because after my NICU experience, it's so important that you go yeah. to a place that has all the resources just in case. Yeah, totally. It's going to happen to you, but I'm just so grateful that we were at Cedars. So that yeah. I knew that the resources were like, I wasn't, once I found out she was in NICU, I was like, oh, thank God we're here, you know? Yeah. And I don't and want you, I, the last thing I want is for you to be stressed during all that. No, hundred percent. And twins have you know, a high likelihood of coming early and high likelihood of having NICU stays and not every NICU is the same. There's like different levels. And so, um, thanks we're to at Cal- level four, baby. Yeah. We're at the best. We are literally at the best hospital with the best OBGYN. I have a maternal fetal medicine doctor. That's also the best in Dallas. So I feel very taken care of. Um, and yeah, they're due in August. I'll probably get a, um, I'm for sure going to get like a scheduled C-section in the beginning of August. Um, so I hate that you had to go through all of that, Callie, but it has given me like perspective and just like things to prepare oh, for. And a scheduled C-section is completely different than yeah. an unscheduled C-section. I just have to say, like, I'm going to prepare you for exactly what you need to know, but also you're going to go in there like, showered with like makeup on and like looking lovely and it's just going to be like a quick 15 minute procedure and then you're out of there like yeah I was like you know looked like a cave woman (laughs) and by the way the last thing that happened before they cut me up is I threw up so like I mean it's just disgusting like if I have another big if it will be a scheduled c-section situation yeah no question trying for a v-back fuck off absolutely (laughs) So I think it's going to be a night and day different experience and you're probably going to love it. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, I hope so. I hope it's smooth sailing. But even with like the breastfeeding, like I feel like that would totally be like a brain block for me. But like 
I think I'm now I'm just like I'm not going in with any plans I'm just like also the idea of like feeding two solely from two boobs like yeah that's a lot and I had implants and then I got them explanted so it's just like I'm not going in with any expectations I'm like also, they make this baby Keurig machine that um and I know one. <laughs> because I already bought it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love you. Yesterday. So you'll get it uh, when you meet baby silver, but, and and don't get me wrong, Elise hates surprises. So I I have one surprise for you, but um, Elise hates surprises. So I I do. do. And it's incredible. Like it's, I can't, can't wait. Incredible. The best contraption ever made. It's, I mean, why didn't we think of that? Honestly, I know you'd be so loaded. Um, but yeah, she also, I have to point out that Elise also found out the genders at her 30th birthday, which is yeah, which was also Callie's idea. Thank God. Oh, that's um, right. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. No, truly, I literally would be unraveling at the seams probably all the time if it weren't for Callie Rogers in my life. Callie was like, maybe you shouldn't find out the genders. And at first I gave you major pushback. I was like, no, mm-hmm. I like need to know. And you were like, I don't think you do. And I was like, actually, that like makes total sense, which is so funny because this is irrelevant, but I just love this aspect of my life so much. I feel like Callie and Carl are very similar, but like Carl will always tell me advice to things. And I'm like, fuck off. Like, what do you know, Carl? Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm doing the opposite of what you think. And then Callie will literally come and say the exact same thing as Carl. And I'm like, that's a fabulous idea. I'm going to do that. And then I'll tell Carl and he's like, whatever. Yeah. Well, I just like, I, so we didn't know the gender. We transferred two embryos, but they weren't tested. So we didn't know the gender. And um, finding out the gender was one of the more like normal experiences I got to have. And when you go through infertility and IVF, like so much of it is just so mechanical and don't get me wrong. We're so grateful and we're still appreciative. And it's incredible that like without science, I wouldn't have been able to get pregnant. I probably wouldn't have been able to stay pregnant. And then I would have probably died during childbirth. My baby probably would have died during childbirth. So it's like, I am forever grateful to science, but at the same time, it's okay to be envious of other women that don't really need science for a lot of their, like, there are women who get pregnant naturally, stay pregnant naturally, and then go through birth naturally. Like, who the fuck? Wild. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. And that's not me. So finding out the gender, which of course is a science thing, (laughs) was still, it was just a very, like, normal, wholesome moment. And I was like, you deserve to have that. Yeah. And it was great. It was literally one of the best moments of my life. So thank you for that. (sighs) um okay so that I feel like we glossed over so much but we did want to do a submission real fast and not that we're gonna like not give our best but this is a short submission and I think both of us are pretty aligned on how we feel about it so should we jump in let's do it okay all right let's get started this is kind of a short question but I could really use y'all's professional perspectives I am an Enneagram seven. At times I can display the positive characteristics of a seven, but I lean towards the unfulfilled flaky adventure seeker characteristics of a seven. This is not all negative. It has driven me to a STEM career that has taken me around the world. I enjoyed this greatly during my twenties, but I want a more stable US-based position in a post COVID world. 
Last year, I took a position in the South. It wasn't a good fit. I even got a blush life coach to help me try to vocalize it to make it a better fit for me. Ultimately, my coach and I both agreed that it wasn't a good situation for me, so I moved to the Midwest for a different position. I do not have friends or family here, but I figured I'd make some friends as I go. Some of the promises I was given when I was hired haven't been kept. For example, I was supposed to have weekends off, but now I'm being scheduled for weekends in the field. I asked to be asked before I was scheduled outside of my agreed upon work days. I was told that I needed to be a team player and that some projects require me to be a team player. During my time of frustration, a recruiter reached out to me to offer a position making double my current salary at a different company five hours away. I am taking some time to make my decision. Am I running away from workplace discomfort? It feels a little bit like a pattern of me having a workplace conflict and then running to a new company. At the same time, I could get more money and my weekends back with this new offer. I feel silly writing this because leaving sounds like a no brain option, but I don't wanna be seen as flaky or unreliable for continually switching jobs when things get a little difficult. Thank you, thank you. I mean, obviously go take that job. Yeah, like what the fuck are you doing? let's like get to the crux of the issue so like you're right you don't need to feel silly for writing in I understand but this isn't about the job none of this is about the job that you have or the job that you maybe you were a little delayed so you probably already took this job if you're I'm assuming your blush coach was like girl take this job (laughs) if I trained him right I'm just kidding um but this is about your self-esteem and the way that you look at yourself. And this is when, this is actually sometimes my beef with personality assessments. Like with the Myers-Briggs, I love it. People are like, don't look in the box, but it's like, there's no bad personality type. Like it's all good. It's all good. With the Enneagram, it's all bad. (laughs) This is why you suck is um, the Enneagram. (laughs) And it's good for personal growth and it's great for self-awareness and I like it for a lot of situations. I do not like it for situations like this when you start to go to be down on yourself and you make a simple situation complicated because the relationship that you have with yourself is not entirely healthy. You view yourself as flaky. And so when you make decisions and advocate for yourself and change your environment, it's deemed as flaky instead of being, I don't know, confident or smart, or healthy, or full of boundaries, healthy boundaries. Like, if someone, like, I guess what I'm saying is if you were a three, then this decision would be, oh, I'm ambitious, and I'm a shot caller, and I'm Mm going to go, and I'm going to fucking do the damn thing, and I'm amazing. But because you're a seven, it's labeled as being flaky. And it's like, this is when I get frustrated with personality assessments, because I feel like it does put people in a box sometimes. Um, and it's tough. It's a fine line to walk because they can be super helpful, but I don't like it when, when we run with them and put ourselves down because of one thing about us. Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. And I think that the, I don't know if it's like a stigma or just like expectations of staying in a career for a lifetime, right? Like I feel like generations prior, it wasn't about fulfillment. It wasn't about, you know, enjoying what you're doing every day and, you know, doing what you love. It was about survival and making money so you can pay the bills and put food on the table. And um, 
I think that that's really cool that the second that you realize that something, whether it's a job, a relationship, a friendship, or whatever is not fulfilling for you and it's not what you wanted or what you were promised, then get the hell out of Dodge. My my husband, Carl, he's the same exact way. And I think he's had like, I don't know, four or five jobs in the past five years. And he's finally in a position that he really, really loves and gets so much fulfillment out of. And he knows for certainty that this is going to be what he does for the rest of his life. But through that process of like going from job to job, it's like to other people that might look like, you know, what's wrong here? Like, why are you having so many jobs? Why can't you keep a job? Whatever. And from Carl's perspective, he's like, the second that I am certain that I hate this is the second that I am looking for the next thing. Because what is the point of staying in something that you know is going to end at some point anyways? Like be efficient with your time and get out when you know that it's time to get out. So I think, I mean, I think to your point, Callie, like the Enneagram, I think she probably, you know, read the healthy levels of functioning versus unhealthy Mm -hmm. levels of functioning within an Enneagram type. And then that kind of like planted a seed of doubt in your head or a a seed of like self-awareness, hyper self-awareness of like any potential, you know, opportunity or situation that you could potentially come across as flaky like that's going to be so much more amplified for you um yeah, I don't think you're using it as a weapon against yeah herself. against herself yeah and it's not helping her I mean listen if I if I was promised that I don't work weekends and weekends are my time to sit my booty on the couch and do nothing and I record on a Sunday I love yeah. I don't work well and I'm like bitch get on zoom right now (laughs) this is like hanging out with my best friend so it doesn't really feel like like i'm messing with you um (laughs) i'm like i don't work on weekends here we are um but yeah i mean if someone told me that i didn't have to work on weekends and that was like the game plan and then someone changed it on me and said just kidding you have to work on weekends and then when i confronted them to set a boundary they gaslit me and said be a team player that's like manipulative and really yeah that's toxic not cool like really not cool and frankly they don't even deserve a two-week notice from you like that's how pissed i'd be if i were you yep that's taking advantage of the power within corporations yeah and which i don't i don't like that at all and so it's giving ick It is giving ick. And the thing that I love is like, you know, at the bottom, she's like, I know that this, sorry, I'm out of breath and I'm stuffed up. I'm like, (sighs) I think, I think you might be carrying two humans. Yeah. I I don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. But like how I just can't, what am I going to be like in a month or two or three? Don't worry about that. Your body is going to adapt. I promise. Okay. Okay. Well, just don't buy a lot of Tums. Don't be grossed out if I'm literally heavy breathing into the mic. Um, but she says, I feel silly writing this because leaving sounds like a no brain option. Like obviously your gut and your intuition is telling you something. It's just like the mind chatter of like other people's expectations or, you know, potential judgments or whatever, but your gut always is spot on. And I hope that our opinions can give you that validation that you need because it is literally a no brain option, especially 
because they're going to double your salary. Like clearly they don't think you're flaky and not that other yeah. people's opinion matter in this situation, but like, to me, that's a surefire way to be like, okay, well, clearly they don't care that I'm hopping around. They love my resume and they're willing to like, you know, up the ante here. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I get, I get that. It's like, I'm pointing to that as like a source of validation and the whole goal right now is to find internal validation um, because you're getting external validation and it's still not enough for you. So that means we need to go inside. And I have, sorry, my cats are being fed right now. If that's loud. I have, I think a solution, which is going to surprise no one. And my solution is pickleball, but hear me out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I still play. Don't worry about it. And poor baby gets dragged to the courts three times a week. Um, sometimes four on good weeks, but okay. I'm going to pull out some Brene Brown and do it that way, which by the way, Brene Brown is an owner of a pickleball team and pickleball is her identity as well. So just wanted to put that out there. I'm not crazy because Brene Brown started this before I did, but Brene, well, actually, let me, let me back up and explain how I even, how my synapses fired here. Cause y'all are going to be so confused. So I was reading this and I was thinking to myself, okay, obviously we're weaponizing our personality against ourselves. Not cool. Um, we're also like not standing strong in our convictions. Like Elise said, like, okay, so not only did they manipulate you, but then they gaslight you. Like this is, it's like, from our perspective, it's like, this is black and white here. Like no, no question, but it's still murky waters for you. And I'm wondering why. And I think it's because, and this, I'm just going out on a limb here, but I'm wondering if your identity is too wrapped in your career Mm. and you're, you're getting your identity and your values and everything from your career instead of the other way around. And not that you, Alexa, sorry, whatever robot, stop talking to me. Uh, whatever, like, I'm not trying to say, um, that you should leave STEM or anything like that, or that it's bad for you. Not at all. But I do think that there's not enough, maybe other things going on in your life to where you can anchor yourself there too. Because when your entire identity is wrapped up in your job and then something goes south with your job, meaning your job doesn't play out or people start mistreating you or you change jobs and you change location. And, and by the way, I sympathize because changing location a lot is also tough to create like a good support system and, and routine and things like that. Um, but I'm getting that vibe that just like, if you were to make a pie chart of your life, like 80% of it would fall under career. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to scale that back. Not to say that you shouldn't continue to work on your career and give it your all and do all the things, but we need to add more. So it's not reducing, it's adding. And Brene Brown talks a lot about the concept of play and how play is not just something that you do when you're a child, but it's something that you need to do when you're older too. And play can be a lot of different things. Play can also fall into self-care. So play can be some women really like to go shopping. Some women really like to go to the gym. Some women, right, really like to, I don't know, do like a lot of different things. I didn't really have anything that was, playful in my life for a long time like I would as a like a true three if it wasn't like something that was gonna further my career I just didn't really understand the point of it honestly until I got into pickleball and Brene says the same thing she was like I discovered pickleball and that was how I started to play and pickleball not only gave me a social network but it also gave me endorphins it also 
it was meditation in a way because my brain would, and my brain still does turn off when I play. It's a hobby. I can shop for new paddles. It's like all these amazing things that give me a sense of identity outside of blush, outside of being a mom, outside of my marriage, outside of my friendships. And like, it's invaluable. And it doesn't, obviously I'm like pitching pickleball because you can play it anywhere, but I'm more saying, I think you need to add more things into your life that give you a sense of identity and purpose in order to not get so wrapped up in the volatility of your career. Because if you are in STEM, it's probably going to continue to be this way. Like I'm assuming STEM and tech kind of overlap here. And like, those are just, that, that career path is known for like up and out, up and out, let's go. Like failing upwards in some senses or just like promotion after promotion, company after company, a company gets sold, a company gets bought and then you go somewhere else. It's like, that's normal. But if it's going to make you question who you are every time that happens, like that's not sustainable. So we need to find stability in other areas of your life. I love that idea. I think that's amazing. You gave me that advice when I was so consumed with IVF and you were like, you need to like have other things. And then I like started playing the banjo and did some other random shit. And it was just like, we're a lot lighter. Yeah. It just makes it, I don't know. It just makes it more balanced. And when something doesn't go right in that area, it's not like your whole world comes crashing down. Yes. It's like having backup plans, but it's also like, I think you've given this metaphor before. Like if you're building a house, not, you don't have one load bearing wall, you have like a bunch of load bearing walls. So if like you have to do construction or take out a wall here, it's like, it's fine. You got all of this other all these other load-bearing walls holding up the weight. So it's no big yeah. deal. And then you can go back and like figure out that wall later. But like, if your only load-bearing wall is your career, that's just so dangerous because like, we're not always in control. Of that. I mean, we're not in control there, if anything, but like, you got to spread it out. And honestly, I think you're going to be happier anyway, if you do yeah. that. I mean, work-life balance, it's like such a, such a thing, especially something that I work on a ton with all of my clients. It's like, if your life is work, then, you know, I mean, work is, I think some statistic, like we work like 80%, like the most, the most time we spend is working and sleeping. And so if you're not super intentional about enjoying life and finding fulfillment outside of that. And, you know, especially if you're moving, meet some new friends. That's a great way to meet new friends, right? Like, yeah, pickleball's great. I need to stop harping about it, but you know what I mean. Pickleball is just something, it's whatever. Like it's a placeholder um, in terms of your life. Like, but I really encourage you to figure something else out because I don't think your career is the problem. I think this company is the problem. The one that was such a butthead to you. Um, but I actually think you're like, I mean, clearly you're doing something right. This is the second that you were like, hey, this seems like shit. And then the universe is like, oh, really? Well, guess what? We have this amazing opportunity that's going to give you more money and give you your time back. And you're like, wait, something seems wrong. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that is the universe having your back, Miss Mary. Yeah. You got to lean into that. But the fact that you managed to make that a bad thing in your head tells me we need to boost your self-esteem, not get too invested in what the Enneagram tells you. And let's like spread out your life and find some other aspects that are fun to you, that, that are playful. Like 
<laughs> like the banjo is, is not a sentence I ever thought I would say. <laughs> but it's but it's true. We need some hobbies. Uh, we need some things that honestly exercise your brain in different ways. That like get you out of that ambitious whatever. Um, and, and you're a seven, so I'm assuming. Like the funny thing is, this is the this is the, the time to be a seven. I'm like saying, hey, you need to play more. A seven should be like, Woo! like music to my ears. That's what sevens are known for. Um, mm-hmm. And so this is like a time to use that strength and like go, don't feel guilty about going and playing more. I also love that you mentioned like the universe just coming in at the perfect time because it's literally like she says during my time of frustration, a recruiter reached out to me offering a position making double my current salary. It's like, did you just win the lottery? Yeah, like call it what you want. Call it God, call it the universe, call it, I don't know, spirituality. I I don't care what you call it, but that's pretty amazing. A good sign, a sign that you should take, you know, as... A positive one. So I'm on team quit ASAP if you haven't already. And I think she be- probably already did. And that's the thing. It's like, I think this is such a foregone conclusion, right? Like she already took the job. But the question really becomes why was it difficult for you yeah. to make that decision in the first place? Yep. Um, and that's what we hopefully address, which is I think your identity is too tied up in your career. We need to play more. And we need to stop using things as a weapon against ourselves, which probably means we've got some self-confidence, self-esteem issues going on. It's cool. Join the club. Um, and, you know, this is a lifelong journey, but I think being self-aware enough to understand how we got to this place of making life harder than it needs to be. Yeah. Always helpful. Yeah. I love it. Love that so much. I feel like we crushed this. Crushed it. First time back. Crushed it. Okay. Um, if you want to hear more details about our lovely little lives and you're like hey I want to hear more about that or that because so much has gone down and we feel like we didn't we weren't updating you in real time which is sad but if you want more just tell us please and then if you got uh, a submission and you were like oh they're back and they're taking requests yay so you can reach out to us. Just honestly go to joinblush.com and click podcast. And there's a submission thing on the website. It's way easier. But you can also write into blush you at joinblush.com. Um, and we'll get, we'll get it. Yeah. So we're excited. It. We're so excited to be back. Let us know what you're thinking in the comments. Reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Okay. We love you. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.